0: To much higher levels of performance and success. There's a link in the show notes. Click on it to find out more. All right, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Today, I have the pleasure of having Lee Bacham here with me today. He's the chief thrivologist at Aspire Coaching. Lee, welcome to the program. Yeah, thanks for having me, Omar. Great to be here. Hey, I love your website. If you're talking about uh, being minimal and simplistic and getting the point across, whoever did that did a genius job.
1: Yeah, we try, to, we try to make sure we're on message of uh, simple is best.
0: Isn't that always the case? It's uh, But sometimes we have this need, but you don't understand, Lee. It needs to be fancy. We need to do this. And we end up muddling the message. Uh, why do you think that human need is to look more pretty than we are sometimes? And we kind of muddle things.
1: I'm not sure it's necessarily about looking pretty as much as we always are looking for a more complicated thing. When I was a, a teenager, um, I was a magician, did a lot of magic shows and learned a lot more about psychology uh, doing that than I ever did in graduate school or anywhere else. And, and one of the things that always surprised me is is the complicated ways that people would come up uh, with how I was doing my tricks. Sometimes there's a very simple, straightforward thing, and and they would come up with the most convoluted ways to explain it. Uh, And I think that's just kind of human nature, that we um, try to find the most complicated thing when we think we're simplifying. So I'll take a
0: side uh, tangent just for a moment. Uh, I was on stage just before COVID hit. I was in Orlando, Florida, and I was staying at this motel. And they had this little magic castle there, and they had a show Monday evening. And the, my tech, my sales show started the next day. So, magic show, gotta go to that. And so, saw the magic show, which was brilliant. But then they invited me to sit down with a group of magicians. Some of them were like in the seventies and eighties. And it's like, that guy there, he invented this trick that went worldwide. It was such a magical time hanging out with people that create illusion for a living. It was, uh, like one of the highlights of, uh, the pandemic you must have been in la uh no this was in orlando it was okay. a little hotel that was kind of like a, a little run down kind of family thing just outside of uh orlando but okay. their magic castle was pretty cool i'm not sure they called it a castle but it looked like one to me
1: yeah the the magic castle that uh, all of uh, all oh, magicians want to go yes. to yeah that's that's la so just was curious
0: So what's kind of amazing in this two things that have transcended the time, because pretty much if you show a kid these days, you know, something in technology is like, oh, that's so yesterday. And literally it might've been yesterday, but still to this day, adult or child, if you show them some fireworks, there's still magic in their eyes. And of course, a magician still transcends time and space. So that need for wonder is like almost hotwired within us.
1: It really is. I mean, that, that it ties into our need for something spiritual, something, some sense that uh there's something bigger than us. Um, and I, you know, I find that myself. I put myself in situations where I have to stand in awe. Just, you know, I go for a trail run and look at the beautiful uh scenery. Uh, when I walk my dogs in the morning, it's usually right around sunrise at some point during that walk. And and uh, just yesterday I was just staring there going, man. What beautiful colors there are there, and just just kind of stood and stared at it. And I think that part is uh, just part of the human need uh, to be connected
0: with something that's bigger than us. Nobody listening to this uh, program is going to go, oh, "Well, Lee's a nut," <laughs> but they are going to go, "Yeah." touchy feely, who's got time for that. And at the end of the day, you realize that ability to see beauty and wonder, not only when you see nature, but when you hang out with people and you're used to looking for it and finding it, you find wonder and beauty in the people around you. Yeah, I mean, th- I think this is um, it is touchy-feely, and
1: you know the the interesting thing is, as I talk to people who are um, going, well, that's touchy-feely stuff. That's where life happens. You know, the sales people tell me, "Oh, that's touchy-feely." Well, sales happen on an emotional, deep level. I'm not it's it's you can show them all the facts in the world, but if you don't have their faith, if you don't have some uh, connection with them, it's not going to matter. Uh, and same with science. I mean, I think if if we look at COVID one of the failings of getting information across about the scientific findings is that we forgot that human piece. Um, And and so while it is the touchy feely, um, EQ people would tell us that's where everything happens anyway.
0: Absolutely. And if you take a look at the greatest leaders, the good ones and the bad ones and the bloodthirsty ones, it was nobody's spectacular strategy that won because you could have given that strategy to me, and I would have screwed it up. But it's that connection with their emotions, their beliefs, that human stuff, that touchy feely stuff, was the engine that drove change uh, on this planet. Yeah,
1: and if we boil it down, I think it really is um, people who can connect us to hope, and uh, that's the the big thing of EQ. Can we move people past fear? Which keeps us trapped, uh, keeps us stuck, and move us to hope, to something, again, back to that, it's bigger than us, it's beyond us. Uh, So yeah, I mean, uh, the leadership that uh, can show people a way of hope is always going to win over leadership that argues points.
0: Absolutely. And uh, when I'm working with someone, I often think of this metaphor, Uh, right now you can't see this because it's an audio podcast, but I'm holding a pen in my fist. And if you were here, uh, Lee, it would take a lot for you to grab this pen out of my hand. And I think people hold on to their reality in the same way. And it's my job and perhaps your job is not to change their reality, but loosen their grip on it so they have the possibility of change. It seems to be the first step.
1: Yeah. I mean, if we are convinced that we are A, right, and B, nothing's going to change, then... We'll be right, <laughs> and nothing's going to change. So whenever there's a possibility of change, it's
0: because uh, we see the potential for it before we step into it. Do you remember that uh, movie Young Frankenstein? Dude. So this is one beautiful scene that I love. They're in the uh, penitentiary graveyard digging up corpses, and Dr. Uh, Frankenstein is basically saying, oh, my God, my career has come down to this. And his trusty assistant, Igor, says, well, it could be worse he says, how could it be worse? And he said, it could be raining and the sky <laughs> opens up. And I think, A, that's wonderful. And B, the opposite of that is if things are going well, they can always get better.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, the question is how we tap into that for ourselves. And um, so I, I spend a lot of time talking with people about what they have in their control. And the starting point, there are three three things we have in our control, and that's it. And it's aspirations, attitude, and actions. And the first one, the aspiration, that's what we dream about. You know, wh- where do we want to go with this? And to me, that's always the beginning point of building hope. Do I have a place that I want to move to? If someone co- comes to me and they just, they don't know where they're going, that's the first place we're going to spend some time. What, what are they dreaming of? What is what is their hope? What yes. what place do they want to move into? And until they find that, it, it doesn't matter what else we do. We, we're never ever going to get to the action part of what you can control uh, until we get past the aspiration part. And number two? Uh, So number two of that, what we have to control?
0: Yeah. Yeah, So it was aspiration Aspiration, and then was attitude. Attitude.
1: So one of the places that people confuse attitude is they think I'm talking about being, you know, having a positive attitude, like being in a positive mood. It's really not that. Um, It really is more about uh, Carol Dweck talks about having a growth mindset, uh, which carries us through because we say, I can get better. I can figure this out. And so attitude, which is a choice of ours, is to go, okay, you know, wherever I am right now, I can figure out how to move to something else. I can uh, keep moving forward. Now, I said it's in our control. So we can also choose to say, yeah, I can't figure it out. I give up. Now, that's, that's a choice. Absolutely. So we can, we can choose where we want to go. We can choose the stance that we're going to figure it out as we go. And the last thing is our actions, what we say, what we don't say, what we do, what we don't do. Those are That's it. That's only three things we can control. Um, the, the big help of that is then you can begin to go, wait, I'm dealing with something that's not in my control, like how somebody else is feeling, what somebody else is doing, <laughs> what they yes. dream about. That's not in my control, not my responsibility.
0: I'd like to add to your list, if I may. Sure. So in what we control, the very first thing we can control is our breath. And I think- If we can do that, it gives us that moment to take the right actions that we need to take or get the right attitude. So that's a very literal thing in that moment when somebody is making me so angry. If I could take a breath or we've got a challenge instead of getting hyperventilated, if I can take a breath, it gives you that little break state that allows you the possibility to remember what you're supposed to do. So what you'll notice is that's an action.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> so it is still within those three things that we can choose to take, uh, take that small moment. Uh, Viktor Frankl talked about that, that last moment uh, between you know, a, an action and our response to it that we, we get to choose. Uh, and, and that's really, I mean, our, all of our actions. And this is the one that many times I have a discussion with clients about when they, you know, they'll do something and then they'll tell me they, they couldn't help it. I couldn't help that. And uh, yes. so um, I had a, a couple with me in my office one day and he was berating his wife and uh, really was just um, not being nice. And so I called him on it and he said, I can't help it. I mean, you just heard what she said. And I said, oh, you, you absolutely can help it. You can absolutely control that. He said, no, I can't. She makes me say that. And I said, okay, let's say that this continues on. You can't, too can't get yourselves straight in your relationship. You can't get control of yourself and you end up in court. You're in divorce court now. You're in front of the judge. Would you say these things, same things in front of the judge? And he said, no way. And I said, why well, wouldn't you? And she said, he said, well, I'd get in trouble. And my response is, if you can control it in front of a judge, you just admitted that you have control. We just don't like to admit that.
0: Absolutely. Uh, It's a brilliant example. Thank you for sharing that. But here's a question for you. Uh, I noticed your voice and your tonality. Uh, Did this guy have that same kind of uh, disbelief or wonder? No, I could never say that in front of the judge. Did he kind of go into fall into that?
1: Oh, he was uh, convinced that, uh, you know, of course, I mean, that would be ludicrous for him to do that uh, in front of the the judge and um, proving my point, you know, I mean, it's the same thing. I've talked with people the same thing. You know, if a police officer is in front of you, would you be saying what you're saying? And of course not. Why? Because I'd be in trouble. That's control.
0: Absolutely. What really uh, amazes me is our ability, what you just did was uh, for that conversation, you channeled this guy, like you had so much empathy with him that as you're retelling the thing, you're actually stepping into his space. Because I could hear that, uh, like, I could never do that for a judge. It wasn't like data you were uh, sharing, it was like you were stepping into kind of his mindset just for a moment. And kind of your thoughts on that our ability when we hear enough and connect enough that we have the ability to do that
1: you know um we humans are interesting creatures we take so long to develop um because we have to take in all of the information the the further you go down the kind of the 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 animal kingdom the less they need care as they grow up because they're kind of born with their instincts and so to, to act in ways that will keep them alive it's just it's inborn. It's, it's, it's part of their DNA. We humans have far less of that inborn. We have to learn it. And so in order to learn it, we have to see it and mimic it, which is part of what scares all of us as parents. (laughs) We're we're the place that kids are watching that mirror. But the reality is we have more mirror neurons in our brain. um, And that's part of the the heart of empathy. You know, when I'm working with people who are feeling disconnected from somewhere, their mirror neurons, they've cut them off. They don't want to be in empathy, but we are naturally built for that. We're naturally built for empathy, for understanding, for uh, being able to feel what somebody else is feeling. Um, you know, when, when you see somebody else and they are injured, you have a visceral response that almost mimics their injury. Someone hits their hand, you yank your hand back. Um, and so we are already connected to other people around us. We sometimes choose
0: not to be or choose not to attend to that. So let's explore that in a minute, but I wanted to uh, explore another topic just uh, for a moment. My worldview is uh, kids grow up and they reach these stages of wonder because they're growing so quickly and they have compassion. They connect with people. They can read people and they know if I want X, I need to go to mom rather than dad. And they also get some strategy in there. But as they get older, they unlearn a lot of those things and go more into conformity and shut themselves off from those magical gifts that make us amazing humans. A, do you think uh, my statement is true? And then B, if it is, why do you think that is? Why do you think we lose touch of that ability to connect in that way and to read people? Well, if
1: you, you notice, uh, conformity is um, it starts with with how we're raised. I mean conformity basically those mirror neurons are set up so that we do what others around us have done um and and i think evolutionary wise you know if if you're alive the information that kept you alive is likely to keep in at least in the evolutionary theory somebody else alive your child alive and so they naturally mirror that so we're, we're mirroring conformity right off the bat so I, th- I think there's a piece that's there but the question is how much we um Bless that as parents versus blessing creativity, uh, blessing curiosity. And uh, I'm you know, mm-hmm. one of the things I count as myself very fortunate is that my parents allowed me to explore all kinds of different subjects. It, they let me follow my passions, um, and nice. and part of that was, um, you know I think that they they were aware of that for in their own life of their place of, of passion points. And so I had lots of hobbies when I was growing up, lots of interest points, and. To this day, I would tell you that my kind of my superpower and also my Achilles heel is curiosity. Um, when I was teaching at Cla- it's a class, go ahead.
0: Oh, it's a blessing, curiosity. Well, it's
1: also an Achilles heel. Um, everything that is your superpower is also your <laughs> your Achilles heel. So I've got to be careful that I can, uh, you know, end up chasing lots of different things without being effective in a certain area. Uh, it has certainly allowed me to explore and pull together from. Very different fields, uh, lots of pieces. But um, you know, wh- wherever you're strong, also ends up being you know kind of the danger point. You've got to be aware Could of.
0: Could be a potentially dangerous spot. So, Lee, I'm about to tell you well, what turns me on. Don't be disturbed. What turns me on is when you find something in one uh, domain of knowledge, let's say chemistry, and then you're focusing on leadership of humans, and you take a concept from chemistry and you map it over to human development like that cross-pollination when that happens i think that is just a spectacular thing
1: well paradigm theory says that that's where innovation happens anyway because people who are in the field are stuck in the paradigm and so people from the outside bring something in from their place and uh and that's where the uh the big jumps happen in most paradigms um at some point at sure. some point, even experts are going to, you know, move away from the worldview. But the big shifts often come from outside.
0: True, and also hobbies, like you ex- described, that you know you're interested in many different things. And I've heard of people, you know, launching satellites in space, and their hobby is origami. And then all of a sudden, they figure out how to fold a satellite in a smaller space. So they can actually get uh, a more efficient payload. So that cross pollination is is pretty amazing. Yeah, I
1: still use uh, magic. I, I've uh, I took up jujitsu um, several years ago, and I realize sometimes I'm you know kind of doing something one place to have the attention one place while <laughs> while yeah. I'm setting up something else somewhere else. It's pure misdirection from from magic days.
0: That is brilliant. So earlier on in the conversation, you mentioned that, you know, we've got this empathy built in. We're hot wired for it. I think there's a quote from Queen Elizabeth. They went something like, uh, I learned just like monkeys do. I watched my parents, you know, on how to be a queen. So we learn by those mirror neurons and we quickly develop. And then some people that empathetic side of things, they shut it down and. How do you think that happens? And why do you think that happens?
1: So many times the empathy we shut down is for people who are different than us. And it's easiest to uh, disregard that because that would be a challenge to us, you know, if if we took all of that in. And so sometimes we can focus our empathy somewhere similar to us and miss it somewhere dissimilar to us. But even further than that, uh, I think one of the places that many people shut down empathy is because of their own emotional pains, their own emotional hurts. I, I watch this with couples um, where yeah. you know they lose empathy with each other because the hurts build up and they've created a narrative in their mind about who the other person is. And and so it's easier to cast them into a kind of a negative space than to... Um, work from a place of empathy and so we just shut it off because it it's a disservice to our our bigger thought process at that point
0: yeah i think human beings are meaning making machines that uh things happen when we make meaning around it and our past determines the meanings we make and we can easily get caught up in a loop where we just lock into our worldview of this is the way it is when in fact uh that's not the case
1: at all. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that, I think that is um, the meanings that we may. I mean, if, if we look around, at in a world that you know, a, a belief, a meaning can be flashed around in a tweet or a post or a you know Instagram oh, yeah. or whatever. We realize the power of that uh, before we were doing it, but we weren't seeing the differences because we were with such similar folks, uh, and I think this uh, the past what year two years or so has escalated how visible it is that the meanings that we draw from something can be almost polar opposites from each other
0: absolutely uh i was working with this young girl her mom called me up and said she was maybe nine years old and she said you know all her best friends are all friends and all of a sudden they picked her as the bad guy now all those girls are shunning her and it's just devastating so rather than do uh a session at my office i said let's go for ice cream and as we're uh having ice cream i take it through a process to let go of the emotions around that and then it was like how do you feel now when you think about your friends treating you this way and she goes uh, i feel okay i said you know they still hate your guts how come you're feeling okay and then she goes because other people don't decide how i feel and i said oh my god if adults could understand that it would change the freaking world yeah so one of the things
1: that was affecting her was she was taking it personally. Um, and Absolutely. that is, um, it's. I, I find that to be an interesting topic to uh, work with people, to to work from not taking things personally, to take nothing personally, uh, that whatever's going on can be feedback, can be, you know, it can have some important information for us. But to take it personally, meaning we take it to mean something bad about us that gives a, the other person power that, uh, yes. a, don't deserve. And B, uh, reduces our own, uh, volition, our own capacity of acting, uh, in certain ways. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm constantly working with people saying,
0: uh,
1: don't take it personally. I had a, uh, 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 client that said q-tip one day and I said what he said quit taking it personally and he had a q-tip that he carried with him as a reminder of that (laughs) quit taking it personally I'm like
0: that's brilliant you know we we need reminders yeah but the thing is you know Lee you know if I was in a session with you and you said that it's like Lee you're a nut what do you mean don't take it personally because at that point that person it's hitting the core of who they are and a lot of people go into that uh fight or flight mode like deep deep state. And then what you're saying is very intellectual and all true. So how do you cross that, that bridge when somebody's in that place of being wounded, and they can't hear your advice yet, or it just sounds like you're just being glib when you're not. So how do you guide your clients to cross that bridge? And they finally realize, oh, my God, Dr. Lee was right. Yeah. So I don't start there in the midst of pain.
1: Um yes, you yes. and I are talking about this on a podcast where uh, everything is calm and uh, you know we're not struggling. It's easy to have a, an intellectual discussion about that. When somebody is in pain, uh, they need to be heard first of all. Second, they also can begin to wonder why it's bothering them. You know, why did that affect them? What, what's what's hooking them about that? And then they can begin to back away from it just a little bit. I mean, the fact is that everybody. Uh, has moments in the day when it feels personal. And so quit taking it personally is uh, not a, oh, instantly over with, never happening again. It's a reminder at every turn, there we go again. Um, I've got a a buddy who has a book uh, that got a one-star review on uh, Amazon. (laughs) And and he comes and he says, I don't know what to do about it. And I said, leave it alone. Just don't worry about it. And he said, but you know what they said about the book, and I'm like, I mean, you're taking it personally. I just want to notice for you, though, that you've got 25 four and five star reviews and one one star review. And yet you haven't told me anything about those you know, 25 top reviews. You're stuck on the one. And the fact is that that's true for us every single day. You know, we we hear something and uh, and it hurts our feelings and we miss the rest of the day that was not that, was the opposite of that. And so, um, you know, we have a propensity as humans to look for the threats. And that's yes. that's part of the leftover of that, that we're better off evolutionary, uh, survival-wise, of going, oh, that's a threat, than to go, oh, look at how everything is. I'll celebrate the day when a threat really, you know, is coming at you. So um, part of the uh, process is t- for somebody to be heard. Somebody to then wonder why it matters so much, and then to begin to slowly back away to recognize that probably it has more to do with that other person and uh, where they are, their projections, their state of mind, and uh, less to do with them. And even if it you know is some useful feedback, for instance, in this case, I asked the author, "Is there something that's true about that one-star review that you might take back with you?" in an edit or in your next project? I mean, is there something there? And he said, well, yeah, I mean, I, they didn't like one, one thing that he had done. I said, so that's useful feedback. But you know, to give them control of your emotions renders that whatever
0: feedback you could have gotten from that you know, kind of useless. You know, what's kind of interesting is that person that did the one-star review, forgot about it as soon as they hit enter. Absolutely, And we had this illusion that they're out there holding on to the thing that we've done. And it turns out that we're the ones holding on to it, not them.
1: Uh, Always the case. I mean, there's that uh, 20, 40, 60, you know, in the 20s, I was so worried about what people thought of me. In the 40s, I realized that that uh, that didn't matter. And in my 60s, I realized they were never thinking of me anyway.
0: So there's something similar to that that I heard that I always loved. It's like uh, the three stages of life. You believe in Santa Claus... You don't believe in Santa Claus, and you become Santa Claus. Yeah, yeah. Well, Lee, this has been a delightful, informative conversation. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. And before we part company, is are there any last thoughts? And how can people get a hold of you? Um, I have lots of last thoughts. <laughs>
1: As much as I've written about, <laughs> talked about, but, you know, I, I think the big thing is uh, that we we have to survive first in order to thrive. But surviving is kind of the check off the point and then let's get on to thriving, which is, to me, finding that deeper meaning, um, doing your purpose in the world, making uh, an impact in the world Um contact us. you can find me, I've got a Thrivology podcast and you can find me at thriveologypodcast.com. Uh, if you want to check out my books, go to com slash books. Brilliant. Lee,
0: have a great rest of the day and thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Take care. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating.